But it's so wonderful when God speaks and he's laid a wonderful platform of his heart um, for us tonight in terms of his desire to come and break out in us and through us and, and for us to find life and fruitfulness and joy and power in him. And the title of my preach tonight is Living in the Last Days, because you know we're living in the last days, right? In fact, it's been the last days since Pentecost. <laughs> Okay, there's been, there's been kind of the, the former days, which was the Old Testament, and then the last days, which has been everything since. How do we do know that? Because Peter says so. So when I talk about living in the last days, this isn't going to be some weird things about marks of the beast and conspiracies and all that. We are living in the last days, and there is a hallmark, there is a characteristic of what the church should look like in the last days. And Peter mentions it in Acts 2. So let's go to Acts chapter 2. And we're going to read this because I want us to, it's one of those scriptures that we, um, we think we know so well, so generally we don't read it very well. When we come, up, come to it, we skip over it. But Pentecost has happened. The, the apostles have got up. They're preaching the gospel Many people are responding, but other people are mocking, and other people are just confused. And they say, what is going on? Are these guys drunk? That you know, we don't understand this. This this is strange. And I just want to settle something. If you're not be if you're not prepared to be strange, you can't follow Jesus. If you follow Jesus properly, the world is going to think you've lost your mind. Look at me. <laughs> and so Peter explains, and he says this from chapter 2, verse 16. He says, no, 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 they're not drunk, these guys. This is what was spoken. This was what was prophesied by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. And the Greek word here is really interesting. It means all. Now, so God is promising to pour his spirit out on all his people, all of his covenant people. Hands up if, you, if you've got a relationship with Jesus. Then he promises he's going to pour his spirit out on you. And the word isn't sprinkle. The word is pour. And the Old Testament picture we have is when somebody was anointed with oil. And you know, when we anoint people with oil today, have you ever seen somebody anointed with oil in church? We kind of put a little dab on the finger and do this because we don't want to make a mess. The Old Testament picture of anointing with oil is you'd take a whole thing of oil and you would pour it over them. And, and it, the, the psalm says, like, like the oil pouring over Aaron's beard and down his tunic and pooling at his feet. With that beard, you would need a lot of oil. <laughs> it's an abundance. It's not... And so the desire of God is to pour out His Spirit on you, and you, and you, and you. Not on the elders, not on the apostles, not on the deacons, on all flesh. And your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men dream dreams. And that doesn't mean when you get to my age, you start dreaming instead of having visions. 
Visions and dreams are essentially the same thing. What it's saying is, you, regardless of age, you will prophesy. You will, have re, you will have supernatural revelation, regardless of your age, regardless of whether you're male or female, regardless of whether you're rich or poor, your you're servants, all flesh. God desires we have an abundance of his spirit. Why? So that we can feel warm and fuzzy and have nice meetings. No, so that we can change the world. So that we can be changed. Uh, Jordan Peterson. How many of you have heard of Jordan Peterson? He's a Canadian psychologist. He wrote a book, 12 Simple uh, Rules for Life. He's not a Christian, but he makes a lot of sense in what he says. And one of, one of his principles is, if you want to go change the world, first make your bed. <laughs> it's like, take personal responsibility. You know, people are protesting climate change, climate change, and he said, what have you done? Take personal responsibility before you go and try and change the world. And the Holy Spirit comes upon us first to change me so that I can be an agent of change for the world. And I want to share with us three ways in which the outpouring of the Holy Spirit changes us. And I want to caution us. Have you ever been in a meeting and somebody said, we'll never be the same again? The, the reality is often you do become the same again. Not because of the lack of power of God, but we drift out of it. Yeah? We have the potential never to be the same again. But we always have the potential to drift back. And what, that's one of the reasons why in Ephesians uh, chapter 5, it says, don't, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word, the tense in the Greek, as I'm sure you've heard if you've been in church long enough, is speaking of a present continuous tense. It's literally saying, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So you may say, well, I got saved. 25 years ago, and I believe I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I got saved. You were filled with the Holy Spirit when you got saved? Great. What's happened since? You may even say, I got baptized in the Spirit. Well, that's great. In Acts chapter 2, they get baptized in the Spirit. But in Acts 4, many of the same people experience another powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. A second baptism, if you will. And so what we see is this instruction to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's two ways that can happen, and they're not mutually exclusive. It's I can avail myself of, of, the, you know, of, of God's uh, grace. I can position myself. I can humble myself. I can spend time in His presence. And there can be a gradual, ongoing, imperceptible filling of the Spirit. I don't fall over. I don't shake, rattle, and roll. It's just, but I'm continually being filled. But there's also moments of sudden, powerful, experiential, violent outpourings of the Spirit. Now, I'm not saying you have to experience the second. I'm saying, why wouldn't you want to? <laughs> if it's available, and it is available. That those baptisms, those empowerings, those outbreaks of Holy Spirit moments are available to us, and I hope we experience one of them tonight. <laughs> yeah? Oh, well, 
me and Kathy, we'll have a we'll have a Holy Spirit party. You could all go home. I'm trusting that the Lord is going to pour out His Spirit in a powerful, fresh, and new way on many of us tonight. And that springs of living water are going to bubble up and burst forth from many of us. So you can stop looking like you've been baptized in vinegar and look like you've got the joy of the Lord. So prophecy. Some, somebody asked me last week, why do you... Why, why as a church do we always go on about prophecy and have prophetic workshops and, and, and you know, we're telling people to prophesy? It's like, aren't there a hundred gifts? Yeah, and not everybody has the gift of prophecy. But Paul says, I wish you'd all prophesy. See, there's office of prophet, there's the gift of prophecy, and then there's just the willingness to prophesy. Okay? Just like there is the office of teacher, there's those with the gift of teaching, but all of us are called to teach somebody. That's part of the Great Commission, teaching people to obey what I've commanded, right? And so in all of the gifts, but why we mention prophecy so much is at least according to this passage of Scripture, being prophetic is a hallmark of being a people of the last days. It's a hallmark of the people of God because prophecy is no more and no less than speaking the heartbeat of God to other people. It doesn't necessarily speak about the future. But shouldn't we be a people who know our God and know the heart of our God and be able to hear God so well? We've got to be able to hear God for ourselves, right? The sheep hear His voice. So prophecy should be something that all of us believe that we're able to do. Is there anybody here who's never prophesied that, that desires to prophesy? Anybody? Anybody never prophesied that... Anybody too, too scared to put their hand up because they know I'll probably pick on them? <laughs> Is there anybody here who desires to prophesy that hasn't? Okay, I, I see those two hands, right? I'll just make a note and maybe something will happen later. <laughs> but do you understand that? But I'm not confining today's, uh, to the preach to just prophecy, but I want to encourage you to eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. But I want to talk about three ways in which the Holy Spirit will transform you or should transform you when he comes upon you. And I love when David is anointed to be king. And there's a similar description with Samson as well. It says, when he was anointed, the Holy Spirit rushed upon him in power. I love that language. It's not me trying to arm wrestle with God or, or twist his arm or, or bargain with him or plead. He's not a reluctant God. He's just waiting for our availability. And then he rushes upon us in power. He's desperate. He's desperate to pour himself out on you. Now, one of the things that has happened in, in churches like us is sometimes you see people shaking, rattling and rolling and falling over and some people get un very uncomfortable with that. And I heard somebody once say, if that's genuinely of God, when they get up, they'll be different. Now that makes sense, right? But it's not strictly speaking true because I can have a powerful encounter with God and I can decide to stay the same. Because God will not, the Holy Spirit is not like the demonic. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to possess me. Yeah? 
He doesn't want to overtake me. He wants to come and empower me and work with me. Or put it better, he wants to come alongside me so that I will yield and work with him. Okay, that's a better way of putting it. But the demonic wants to destroy you and dominate you, so it's just it. So we always have a choice. We can have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. We can choose not to change. But we can't really change without him. Okay. So if you want to change, you need the Holy Spirit. If you don't want to change, go home now. Actually, go home now if you don't want to change. Because here's the thing. Coming to church can be bad for your health. Seriously. Let, let me explain. On Judgment Day, we're all going to be judged according to the revelation we've received. Whenever you come and you listen to the Word of God, you're receiving revelation. So if you keep listening to the revelation of God and disobeying, you're just storing up a greater judgment for yourself. So do yourself a favor, at least don't listen. Maybe it'll be a less worse judgment. You're laughing, but it's true. You're laughing. It's that uncomfortable laughter, right? So I don't want you listening to this preach if you're not prepared to change and pour out your life for the king. He wants to pour himself out on you so you can pour yourself out. I don't want to talk to you about the empowering of the Holy Spirit if you're not then willing to serve and be used. Because I'll be doing you a disfavor. So the fact that nobody's left... You might be offended and you might have shut your ears, but you're not left, so that's good. That means you all want to change. That's great. And I was talking to a young girl today. She's brand, brand new, saved, and she's like, she's wrestling with some of her past or whatever, and she's kind of struggling to understand how God can see her as perfect. And I was explaining, God sees you as perfect, but he's making you perfect because, we're, you know, you're in a process. I said, I'm in a process. And she looked at me. I, I said, yeah. I've been serving Jesus 50 years. I'm an elder, and I still mess up on a regular, virtual, daily basis. And I'm still being changed because the process never stops. So if you think you don't need to change, also leave now. <laughs> what do they say? My nickname's Nobody because nobody's perfect. Okay, so how do we change? The first one, and I've alliterated this so it's easy to remember. The first one is he changes us from failure to function. He takes us in our failure and decides he's going to give us a function. He's going to use us. And if you've never failed, I want to meet you after. Because we've all failed. And often what happens... You know, we, I think we can kind of get through our minds, you know, that which I did before I was saved, I'm a new creation, that the old is gone. But sometimes we find it difficult to let go of our failures since we met him. And I failed many times serving Jesus. I failed as a leader. I failed as a husband. I failed as a father. I failed as a friend. I failed as a preacher. And usually I fail as a preacher. Just after I preached a real 
powerful preach and God's moved and people people have been saved and set free and delivered. And the next time I get up thinking I'm the man of power for the hour, I fall flat and I realize how useless I am. But some of us struggle to overcome our failures and to overcome an identity that we give ourselves as failure. And what we often do, because failure is like, when we're aware of our failure, it's like being stood naked in front of the... Who's ever had that dream, being stood naked in front of the school? school? I have. Anybody else? Come on, please tell me I'm not alone. And nobody wants to be naked. Nobody wants everybody to see the nakedness. So we, we try and cover it up. And often you see people who are striving the most. They're striving the most. Why? Because they're trying to hide their own sense of failure and inadequacy. And I can't cover my own failure with my own stuff any more than Adam and Eve could cover up their own nakedness with fig leaves. God came and went, those fig leaves aren't working, guys. <laughs> and and thank, thank the Lord for that. Because if we were still all dressed in fig leaves, man, you would be a weird sight to behold. <laughs> and so he killed an animal to clothe them. And that's a picture that you can't cover up your own nakedness. You require him to cover your nakedness and blood must be shed. And Jesus' blood was shed to cover your shame, your guilt and your failure. And here's a wonderful example of a failure that God got hold of and and gave him a powerful function. And his name is Moses. Moses started a failure. He grew up in in the palace He grew up thinking he was a somebody. I'm royalty. He knew he was a Hebrew, but he thought he was maybe a notch above the other Hebrews because he was probably more educated, more wealthy, more powerful, more influential. And so when he's walking one day and he sees uh, one of the slave masters uh, abusing one of the Hebrews, he thinks, I can save my people. And he tries in his own wisdom his own strength and his own effort. And he takes that slave master and he kills him. And that does not succeed in delivering his people. All it does is succeed in triggering his fear that now he's in trouble. And he runs into the desert. He's failed. He's not been able to deliver his people, no matter how strong and powerful and influential he is. And he was around 40 years old when that happened. So for 40 years, he thought he was a somebody. Then he ends up in the desert looking after sheep. And for an Egyptian royalty, being a shepherd was the lowest of the law. So for the next 40 years, he learned he was a nobody. And his identity was that he was a nobody and he was a failure. Then one day he sees a burning bush and the Lord speaks to him. And it's incredible to me how this happens. I'm sure I'm just as stupid. But when I read this, something in me says I wouldn't do this. It's like, If the Lord spoke to me in an audible voice and told me he had great plans for me, I wouldn't argue. I probably would, actually, because we're all deep down the same. And this is Moses' response because he's identified now with his failures and the sense of being a nobody. And we read it in Exodus 3 and Exodus 4. And I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to read the pertinent parts. So this is God speaking to him from a burning bush in an audible voice and showing him miracles like turning his staff into a snake and stuff like that. 
Can you imagine Moses gets home after that and goes, goes to his wife, hey, you never guess what happened today. <laughs> Call the doctor. He's finally lost it. But this is what happens in the conversation. Exodus 3, verse 11. He says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So God said, I want you to go. He says, I'm a nobody. And God says, no, no, no. I'll be with you. And he encourages him. And then instead of saying, I'm sorry for my disobedience, he argues again, and in verse 13, he says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and, they, and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me. What's his name? What shall I tell them? What if they don't believe me? What if the Israelites don't listen to me? What do I say? And God gives him an answer. And then the third time, in Exodus 4, he says, but what if they don't believe me or listen to me and they say, the Lord didn't appear to you? And there's a pretty good chance if somebody walked in here tonight and said, the Lord appeared to me in a burning bush and spoke to me in an audible voice, we'd go, really? <laughs> Wouldn't we? What if they don't believe me, Lord? And the Lord answers that. And still, after that, he goes, oh, but Lord, I'm not eloquent I can't speak. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past, nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech or tongue. And, and the Lord says, well, who gave you your mouth? Whose mouth is it? Now go. And Moses, this is the fifth objection. Moses says, oh Lord, please send someone else. How many of you have ever prayed that prayer? Oh, Lord, please send someone else. And then the Lord's anger burned against Moses and said, what about your brother Aaron? And, and the Lord gives him Aaron, and we all know how well that turned out later. But five times, Moses gives God an objection. But, but, but. That's why Jesus speaks of the sheep and the goats. Yeah, the goats are always butting. And here's the Lord wanting to commission Moses, wanting to pour his spirit out and empower him to lead his people. But Moses is identified himself by his past failure. And God is saying, I'm not, I'm not identifying you by your past failure. I don't care what happened before. Who am I and what am I calling you to do? And what is your future? I use the old cliche at the youth conference. When Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. Satan will always try and remind you of your past because he wants you to identify with your failures and you being a nobody. But Moses eventually is obedient by God's grace. And so for 40 years, he thought he was a somebody. Then for 40 years, he thought he was a nobody. And then for the last 40 years, he learned that God takes a nobody and makes him a somebody. And so it's not God used me because I'm so awesome. It's God, I am a nobody without you. But I'm not focused on who I am. I'm focused on who you are. And when that is our attitude, and when we avail ourselves of the power of the Holy Spirit, he takes us from failure to function. Some of you are wallowing in your failures. Some of you are allowing past failures to be an excuse to prevent you 
to take future risks. And you know what? It's always a risk. And here's my guarantee to you, guarantee to every one of you, including Steve, as you step out in faith to do things of God, I can guarantee you, you're going to fail again. So just get used to it. God is quite comfortable with your failure. Just as I'm comfortable when my kids were young and they wanted to help me and they messed up. I didn't rebuke them for their willingness to be used. I realized that failure was part of the process of maturity. I was very happy for them to try and fail. I was very unhappy when they refused to try. And I think that's the heartbeat of God. What if I fail? Well, so what? So what? It's not that big a deal. And Moses led the people into the promised land. And nobody went back. And instead of trying to deliver people by his own strength, delivered people, delivered God's people by hearing the Lord and walking in the power of the Spirit. And signs and wonders were manifest. And God did the impossible. See, you've got to try the impossible to see signs and wonders. You don't see signs and wonders when you're doing what's possible. I've done this before, but I'll do it again. Who here has raised somebody from the dead? Anybody? Okay, hands up if you'd love to raise somebody from the dead. Okay, okay, that's great. How many many of you have actually ever prayed for a dead person? Right, so I can guarantee that's why most of you have never done it. Because you've never tried it. I've never raised somebody from the dead. I have prayed for a couple of dead people. I failed. Guess what? It means I'm going to keep praying for dead people. Because I couldn't have done it anyway. If it didn't happen, it's hardly my fault. (laughs) Stop giving yourself so much credit. So he changes you and takes you from failure to function. Then secondly, he takes you from famine to fruitfulness. He takes you from barrenness to life, from death to life. In Genesis 1, the account of creation, the earth is formless and void, but the Spirit is hovering over the water. And God says, let there be, and there is. The angel comes to Mary and says, you will be with child. And without lying with a man, the Holy Spirit comes and overshadows her. And it's very similar language to Genesis 1. And he overshadows her. And what happens? Life appears where there was no life. Some of us wonder why why we're lacking life why we're lacking vibrancy, why the life of God isn't flowing in us and through us. The Holy Spirit is the author of life. He's the, he's the one who brings something out of nothing. And often I see ministries and people, people who, who, who are plowing their things into things and there's no life in it. Even preachers, 
I, I want to say to you Preachers Club members, I love the fact that you're going to Preachers Club and learning how to preach. But you can become the greatest expositor and orator in the world, but you will not bring life to people outside of the Holy Spirit. My very first meeting in Josh Jen, I went to Josh Jen um, at the Blowberg Life Saving Club, walked in, there was somebody on a Jemby, I think he was high with dreadlocks. <laughs> he probably was, eh? <laughs> and the worship was a little strange, the people were a little strange. <laughs> I don't think you were there that Sunday, because I think you'd just given birth, if memory serves me right. And people were talking, Kathy's had a baby, we're all going <laughs> to... And then Andrew started to preach. Now, I'd been at college. You might think this is weird listening to me now, but I won an award at college for being best preacher. I thought I was, good. I thought I was a good preacher. I could put a great preach together, I thought. And then I listened to Andrew, and his hair's down here, and he's wearing slops, and, you know, he had this thing of, like, scratching his back under his shirt as he's preaching, and... And he got all his Bible characters mixed up and some of his Bible stories. And I'm thinking, this guy hasn't a clue. <laughs> Honestly, I was not impressed with his preaching. Until after his preach, he called for salvations and three people got saved. And I was like, no ways. I'm a way better preacher than this guy. But nobody ever gets saved when I preach. See, it doesn't matter how well you can craft a preach. It's whether the Spirit is flowing through you and bringing life. And I, that was the moment I said, I've got to join this guy. I said, I need what he's got. I need this. I need something of the Spirit that brings life. I don't want to be a gifted orator. I want to be a carrier of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord wants to take you from famine to fruitfulness. And a lot of the fruit isn't to do with gifting and power. It's to do with character. Galatians 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, it's not fruits of the Spirit. It's fruit singular. It's one fruit, but it has all of those components. The Holy Spirit comes and makes me more like Jesus. He allows that fruit, love, joy, peace to flourish in me. And too many Christians I know are not at peace. One of the prophetic words was, was that. You've tried everything. You can't fix that hole. You can't find the peace. You can't find the joy. Why? Because nothing in this world can fill that void except God. And the Holy Spirit comes and that void gets filled. And that thirst is quenched and that living water flows. And where there is water, there is life and fruitfulness. God wants you to be fruitful. By the way, when you look through the New Testament, there is a principle. You can look at Matthew 25. I'm going on too long, so I don't want to turn there, but you can turn in your own time. It's the parable of the talents. And there's two principles I want you to see here out of that parable. One is this. If you're faithful with little, you'll be given more. So don't compare yourself. 
You might say, I don't want to preach. I can't preach as well as Brett. Well, maybe you can't. Just offer your little. I can't prophesy as powerfully as Milani. Probably not. Bring your little. I can't make coffee as well as Steve. Well, that's okay. Make your horrible insipid coffee. We'll drink it. We'll tell, it, tell you it's nice and with practice you'll improve. Bring your little, bring your bread and fishes. Because the opposite is scary. If you're faithful with your little, he'll give you more. If you're not faithful, he'll take it away. And you'll end up being called wicked, lazy servant. And be in the darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, faithfulness with what God's given you is not optional. The other thing I want you to see in that parable, and you see it elsewhere, faithfulness and fruitfulness are inextricably linked. God judges faithfulness by your fruitfulness. If you are faithful, there will be fruit. I've spoken to some elders recently and, and saying, I'm not being, there, there are seasons we go through. But I said, if your congregation isn't growing in health and seeing salvations, if you're not seeing fruitfulness, it may well be and probably is a lack of faithfulness in the leadership. It's quite a heavy word, right? So if you're not seeing fruitfulness in your congregation, don't get condemned. Just maybe have an elders meeting and ask the Lord to show you if you're being faithful. Or maybe you're working really hard, but you're not seeing the Holy Spirit flow through you. Because you won't see fruitfulness simply through hard work. You'll see fruitfulness, fruitfulness through hard work in the Spirit. You went quite quiet with that one. Moving swiftly on then. <laughs> the third way that the Holy Spirit comes and transforms us. And again, it's all alliteration, so maybe some of you can guess the last one. It changes us from fear to faith. He takes our puny, fearful, easily intimidated beings and fills us with faith. And we are easily intimidated, especially those who protest the loudest that they're not. Generally, when people protest, I don't care what people think, they're usually the people who care what people think the most. <laughs> and to be honest, we all care what people think because we all want to be loved. We all want to be liked. I care what you think. I hope you, I hope you agree with me. I hope you like my preaching. I hope you're receiving what I'm saying. If you hate it, tough luck. I care about God's opinion more. <laughs> but I'd rather you like me. But here's the thing, I've learned not to be afraid of you. If I'm afraid of you, I'm going to tailor my preaching to what you want to hear rather than what God wants to say. If I'm afraid, I won't step out. I'll tell you the last time that I was really, really petrified about any form of ministry. The last time I was really petrified about any form of ministry was quite a few years ago. I get nervous, but I was petrified. Uh, we had uh, a prophetess visit us for a week, Kerry Southey. And she'd been prophesying. Uh, we, she was with us Monday to Friday. And the earliest we finished was midnight. And we were every night. And it wasn't like 
reluctantly, oh, there's a, like we wanted to be there. God moved. But I remember one night she said, has anybody here got a word for anybody? So I kind of stuck my hand up and she said, come. And I went to the front and I said, yeah, there's somebody here and I feel God might be saying this. And then I gave her the microphone went, and I went to sit down and she went, stop, come back here. She said, if you've had a word of knowledge, it applies to somebody here. So somebody needs to respond. Is that word of knowledge for anybody? And I'm going, please, Lord, let somebody respond. Please, Lord, please, Lord, please, Lord. Because <laughs> it's very, if you don't ask for a response, it's easy. But like now all of a sudden it's like I'm going to be exposed if I'm talking nonsense. And one guy at the back stuck his hand up. and I thought, Thank you, Jesus. And they said, come to the front. And I'm, she said, no, you're not sitting down yet. She said, no, Mike has got, she, she said, I, I've seen something of a prophetic gift in him, but we've got to stir it up into more. We've got to train him and equip him to do more. So she said, and there was about this many people there. And she said, right, Mike, you're going to prophesy over him now. I don't have a prophecy. I had a word of knowledge. I've given it. I'm done. And I was petrified. Like, there's the microphone. I have nothing to say. <laughs> nothing. And the harder I think, the blanker my mind goes. And I was petrified. And I thought, I've got two options here. I can either try something or I can go and sit down. And I know if I go and sit down, it'll get me out of this circumstance. But I'll always regret it. I said, what can I do? I, I know how to pray. I don't know how to prophesy. And I began to pray. And as I began to pray, I felt one thing. And it was almost like a word at a time. And I just began to prophesy. And it changed that guy's life. Changed mine as well. Because I was faced with fear. And by the power of the Spirit, I overcame that fear. And now, prophesying, I love it. It doesn't intimidate me anymore. Once you've seen that the giant is just an uncircumcised Philistine, it becomes a lot easier to deal with. But if you keep running away, he'll keep running towards you and you will never escape him. But you don't defeat the giant by your own strength. The, st the story of David and Goliath is not about how skillful David was. It was how much he believed in his God. Any of those Israelites could have defeated Goliath and probably should. But it was David who, who believed in his God. And God wants to transform us from fear to faith. And for me, the starkest picture of this, a beautiful picture, is Peter. A few years ago, we were in Israel. And we were actually the one day at the place where Peter's trial took place. And there was a, a mosaic or a, a relief on the wall, and it was a, a picture of the event of Jesus bound and they're pulling him and prodding him and dragging him to the high priest's house. And I looked at it and I went, how wrong is that picture? Jesus wasn't dragged anywhere. He went willingly. But there in that, in that place and where you, we had an opportunity to actually sit in the place where Jesus was held overnight, incredibly powerful and emotional time, but in that house, Jesus is on trial. And he's promised Peter that he's going to fail. And Peter's fear gets the better of him, and he denies Christ three times. And Scripture tells us, as he denied him the third time and the cock crowed, that Jesus looked at him. 
and his moment of his greatest failure and his moment of his greatest fear. Fear had overcome him to such an extent that he denied Christ. Now, I can't say for sure because I wasn't there, but I'll ask him one day. What do you think Jesus' expression was? Do you think it was, I told you so? Do you think it was anger? Do you think it was rejection? No, I believe with all my heart, Jesus was trying as much as he could with a look to say, remember what I taught about forgiveness? Remember what I taught about redemption? Remember how much I love you. Remember how I said to you, Satan wants to sift you as wheat. But remember what I taught you and come back to me. I still love you. I think it was a look of love. And when you're overwhelmed by fear and your fear causes you to run away and deny what God wants to do in you, when he gives you a prophetic word and you don't give it because you're afraid, when he asks you to to share the gospel with somebody and you don't share it because you're afraid that they'll be offended, when when he asks you to pray for the sick and you don't do it because you're afraid that they're going to get worse, which used to happen to me. There was a time I wouldn't pray for any sick people because every time I prayed for somebody, they got worse. And then I realized I'm not making them worse. (laughs) My fear got the better of me. And so Peter runs away and he goes fishing. He denies his calling to, to a great extent. And even when he's reconciled to Christ, he's still timid. He's not, Peter, you are the rock. He's Peter, you're the pebble. Until the day of Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes upon him in power. And all of a sudden, this Peter who had to deny Christ in front of a slave girl, think about it, he was intimidated by a slave girl. All of a sudden, he gets up and he preaches in front of thousands. Even, and some of them are ridicule him. Some of them are trying to intimidate him. But Peter preaches and 3,000 get saved. He's been transformed from fear to faith. And God requires us to be a people of faith. And you can't actually generate faith in yourself. It's not hype. Faith is a gift from God. But we we can position ourselves to receive the gift of God. And tonight, I want us to position ourselves in faith to receive what God has and then step out into that that he has. Because he wants to take many of us tonight who've identified or, 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 or been paralyzed by our past failures. And he wants you to know you've got a function. He wants to take those of you who feel that you're in a desert place, that there's no fruitfulness, you're experiencing famine. Maybe even, uh, there's an Old Testament scripture that says, the time is coming, says the Lord, when there will be a famine of the hearing of the word. Not a famine of the word, but a famine of the hearing of the word. And sometimes I feel like we're living in those days. The Bible is more available than ever, but people aren't hearing what God is saying. And maybe you're feeling, I've I've been struggling to hear the voice of God. I've been struggling to experience God. I feel like I'm in a desert place. And sometimes the Lord leads you through a desert place, but he doesn't call you to live in the desert. And by his Holy Spirit, he wants to take you from famine to fruitfulness. Maybe in your ministry, in your calling, there's been famine, and he wants to bring a fruitfulness to it. And some of you have allowed fear, fear of man, fear of circumstances, fear of failure. 
Maybe even fear of God, an unhealthy fear of God. We should have a fear of God, but not a wrong fear of God. And he wants to take you from a place of fear to a place of faith. Because he wants to pour his Holy Spirit out on you. And he wants to transform you. And he wants to fill you. And he wants to empower you. And he wants to commission you. 412, our partnership of churches around the world, we have our little slogan. What is it? Equip, restore, equip, and advance. Three words. And that actually sums up what I think the Lord wants to do in us tonight. To restore some of us. To equip others. And to advance us all. And as he advances you as an individual, he advances us as a congregation. And as he advances this congregation, he advances Josh Jen. And as he advances Josh Jen, he advances 412. And as he advances 412, he advances his kingdom. So your advance is advancing the kingdom. Your victory is our victory. Your overcoming changes us all. Because you have something that nobody else here has. And God has a unique destiny, purpose, and plan for you. And it's not about you, but he loves you. And he wants to use you. And I don't know why. There's some ways of God that are a mystery. One of the greatest mysteries to me is why would he use this lot? Why would he use Brett Bevan? You know why? Because if he can use Brett Bevan, he gets all the glory. (laughs) If he can use Mike Davies, he gets all the glory. And we used to have that saying all the time in the early days of Josh Jem. We were growing, we were impacting the nations, and we'd just say, this must be God. (laughs) Look at us, this must be God. And I want us to be able to say tonight, we look around. And we said, this must be God. And right now, I'm trusting that he's going to restore, he's going to equip, and he's going to advance.